All right. Well, welcome to Vision Sunday. My name is Christian. I'm really happy that you're here. And I'm going to hopefully just give you a bit of a taste of who we are as a community. A couple times a year, we like to just go back to first things. Who are we? Where are we going? And why? And, and so that's really the heart this morning. And, uh, and, and so first and foremost, I want to get back to, to our, our vision. First, don't forget, Bob Harrison is here next week. I don't know if we have a picture of him or not. Uh, he's incredible. He is a business leader of business leaders. He runs uh, conferences all over the place. Um, Cameron and Mariella connected us with him. He, he typically runs things to, like, only people that make seven-figure incomes. <laughs> and, but he does speak at local churches. But he speaks on the concept of increase. And, and not prosperity gospel increase, but true kingdom increase. And you guys are not going to want to miss that. That's next week. Same place, same time here. So um, getting into our vision statement, I think I've got that on the next screen. There is, uh, there's something of what we want to constantly come back to. And this is what we, we plaster up on the front page of our website. And I want us to always be reminded of it whenever we talk about our vision. I'm just going to read it to you. We're a people who've been utterly transformed by Jesus. That's the testimony that we carry about Jesus. And we owe the world a message that's as good as he is. Because often the message that the church has given hasn't been a good one, and it certainly hasn't represented Jesus. We believe that the heart of God is to transform the world through a family of sons and daughters demonstrating what he's like. So a community of people that have been transformed or are being transformed. And from that place of transformation, they testify to the world what Jesus is like and actually bring the transformation that the world craves, releasing the realities of heaven here on earth till heaven and earth unite as one. That's an on earth as it is in heaven reality. And our, our key passage comes from Romans 8. For, for the creation, all of creation eagerly waits for the revealing, the liberation of the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's what, we're, that's what we're all about. That's the anchor that, that fuels us and that takes us to, to everything that we do. Um, but from a couple practical sides, I just want to give us a little bit of an update on some of the things that you may or may not care about. But if you don't, it's one of these things that uh, if a church never talks about these things, you're kind of like, are these a shady money laundering business of what the heck do these people do with all these checks I write them? So, so just, just real quick, I want to run down um, just some of the things that, that your funds and, and so forth are going towards. Um, this year, we were happy to look at, um, sometimes it's actually hard to see exactly how much is going one place to the other, but we have about almost 10% of our, of our income that comes in goes directly to overseas missionaries. And then we go to almost 15% goes to things that we call Ephesians 4 or missional type of endeavors. Uh, and, and that's something that we're really proud of and is a really beautiful part of being uh, a body that has their finances in order and is able to mandate the giving aspect of what we do. Um, as far as facilities, this facility here has been a beautiful gift for us, but it's not our permanent home. Just practically speaking, especially kids-wise, we just cannot uh, grow here. And we are growing, if, if not by adults, certainly by making babies. And we are growing by both, but it seems like sometimes we're making more babies than is humanly possible. Well done, everyone. Keep it up. 
And uh, so, so we spend about somewhere in the 5 to 10% range on facilities, but we have budgeted quite a bit more uh, because for us to actually have a facility that we're going to need to be in in the coming future, we're going to need uh, a lot, a lot more. But we've budgeted for that, and so I just want to kind of share that. But for the time being, we've been able to kind of put savings towards that kind of thing because we've been able to save um, facility costs and so forth in the interim. Uh, right now, we've got about 43% of our, of our budget goes towards people and personnel. And, and that's actually way below the, the industry standard. Part of that is because Sue and I just went full-time as of July, which has been amazing. And we're really excited about that. But then I also want to recognize that we've got some incredible people just behind the scenes, and sometimes not behind the scenes, but James uh, Fuel, I don't know if he's in here, is, uh, hey, 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 bud. J- James is, is basically our staff, uh, and he's been just an absolute uh, sign, wonder, and miracle, and gift from God, and, and you need to know that he's, he's on our team, and, and Kyla, his uh, fiancé, is, is also been doing quite a bit, um, especially with our kiddos and so forth. And, uh, and then Mercedes, she's not here today, but she's been forging our, our toddler ministry. She's been an absolute godsend and may be transitioning out because of an international move and job move in, uh, move in the coming months. But she has really gotten us into new territory as far as um, kids and toddler ministry. We also want to, to recognize just some of the, the realities that, that we have a small team, but everything happens because of just the absolute best people and, and giving of themselves on every single level. We've, we've uh, in recent weeks, honored people like Lana Marie, who just I can't even say enough about. She hates it when we, we, we do that, but it, you would not be functioning. We wouldn't function without her. Um, Jared and Krista have, have forged our worship community in just absolute beautiful ways. Uh, Clark and Tiffany just give of themselves endlessly in any way that's needed, and I go on and on and on and on down the line. There's just endless people, and as soon as I started doing that, I'm like, dang it, now I'm going to forget somebody that I should have said. So just kind of like paint a brush of love over yourself if I forgot you. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so some of the things that, oh, just to, to wrap up, about 20% of, uh, of, our, of our finances go towards ministries and ministry expenses in general. And then um, the, the rest has been kind of earmarked towards um, savings or budgets that need to be larger because of what's coming. And so the beautiful thing is we are not in debt at all. We've been able to start to save. We really have been told that we need to save towards like a six-month cushion of operating costs, which we're, we've been able to start towards, which is beautiful. And, and when we went full-time, we were able to do that without it kind of going into, we were just able to do it without going into savings, which is amazing. So we want to say that we are, we are moving forward, and the Lord is providing, and your generosity is, is, is fueling this. And at the same time, we still have big decisions to make. So when you're out here in the cost of facilities and the cost of living and the cost of everything and the cost of a f- Chick-fil-A, where's our Chick-fil-A people? It's like, it's not even cheap to eat a Chick-fil-A. But thank you that we have Chick-fil-A owners in the house. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but but uh, it's the cost of living out here. It's, it's, it's no joke. And so we just want to acknowledge the fact that we aren't just, um, you know, what's the industry standard do, and we're going to just do that, and here it is, and blah. We want to be prophetically praying into every single thing and hearing from God and, and staying accountable and so forth and so on down the line. One of those things that we want to invite you to pray into is some of the things that we do in regards to, to um, like, the building and people. For instance, it looks like we are probably going to be in this building for the next year or so, you know, God willing. So uh, because of things, we've been, we've been exploring some collaborative things, and, um, and 
it just hasn't looked like that is what is supposed to happen for us. In fact, some of the collaborative things that are happening, like with SSM and some uh, Iqbalo Epicenter and so forth, it's just been so obvious, the, the hand of God on, on their facility and what's going on with that. We also are very close with like TDCA. This isn't like, this is kind of public information, but I don't want to be saying things for anyone else. But we have a heart to partner with other organizations when we even look at spaces. And we've been doing that intentionally. And we feel like the Lord is going to open something up. But we have a lot of peace right now that it's not today or this month or next month. At the same time, if you guys have anything that the Lord just stirs up, please bring it to us, and we'd love to process it and pray into it. But because of that, even looking at the next year, we want to ask the Lord, does that mean maybe we start investing more into some more people in some way, shape, and form? Um, and is that maybe a temporary thing or project-oriented? We're kind of putting everything, you know, before the Lord. And, and so just a couple things. Pray with us. Pray with us in, in that we would make wise, godly, accountable decisions and that it would be right for the season that we're in. What might maybe right for the next year or two isn't right for two years after that as far as how we do our budgets and, and what we put our finances towards. And so we need wisdom and guidance in that. And then at the same time, uh, please don't stop giving because, because uh, what you give towards, it is blowing my mind how beautiful it is. The community that, that, is, that is here and that is growing and is flourishing it cannot happen without generosity, and you people are amazing and are so generous, and I just want to thank you for it. And can you just give yourselves a round of applause for just the, the type of lifestyle and the goodness that you guys have? Amen. So, um, then I should, now we should do the offering. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so that's, that's just a little, uh, an update on things. Um, as far as where, we at, where we're at as a church, it's a unique time of history. If you would look at just what the church is uh, in Los Angeles and in America and in the West right now, many people are throwing things around. I don't know how much you guys get into things like postmodern, post-Christian, post, 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 post this, post that. I've heard things like post-Pentecostal, post-charismatic, post that. People just love to put post in front of something and basically say that's like so yesterday. And, uh, and in many ways, though, the reality is we do live in a society where the Christian community is no longer the majority, we're the minority, which is really exciting, because if you read your Bibles, all the good stuff happens when the Christians are the minority. <laughs> so do the deaths and the martyrs and stuff like that, but the good news for you guys is I don't think we're close to that being kind of normative in our society, but if we were, and those things are happening across the globe, when those things happen, all that ever does bear fruit out of that is the kingdom expands an explosive nature every single time. And when you're a minority in the culture, it also means that what you represent, your message, your, your values, whatever else, are not to be assumed that everyone knows who you are and what you're about. We can no longer assume that Pasadena and Los Angeles know the message of Jesus. If you ask the typical person on the street, they do not give you the same answer of like, what's, what's, who's Jesus and what's this message that he gives? You do not get the same answers that you got 20, 30, 40 years ago. That should excite the giggles out of you guys. Because what it means is, is we, can, we can start expecting that when we share something, testifying about something of the work of Jesus, it's not the same people that we think it was, maybe that you grew up with. Um, I'm going to start rambling, so I'm going to stay close to this because I really want to get up and ramble. I'm not going to do it today. 
Okay, so we're, we're in a postmodern, post-Christian society. The church is changing. Within the church, we're also changing rapidly. Many are reevaluating and deconstructing their faith. How many of you know someone that was like this on-fire, amazing, church-going believer that you grew up with, and now they're kind of just like, they either don't go to church or they're just like, I have a really weird, twisted, maybe even like you would call it a new agey kind of like view on things. Would anyone kind of say that they may know someone on social media that at least they have? Okay. Yeah. And the rest of you are liars because you all know some of these people. <laughs> maybe they're sitting next to you. I'm just kidding. I really am kidding. Um, the point is, is that things are changing rapidly even within the church and many people are deconstructing things. For a good reason. I think many people are jaded at their experience of what the church looked like, and they're craving for an expression of Jesus that represents who they really are, what they feel, and what they, they want to believe is true. And many of them have been burned, they've seen things, or they're just kind of, they've been bored. And church is the last thing but boring. You people are certainly not boring. And then finally, Los Angeles shapes the planet. I'm just blown away at every time I hear the influence of what comes out of, of L.A. They, they, they say sociologists even talk about it all the time, that so goes L.A., so goes the rest of the world. And I know that, you know, in some ways we're like, you know, we live here and we get kind of, I roll my eyes at that kind of stuff sometimes, the whole Hollywood thing. But we get to be a church in the middle of one of the most influential cultures on earth. We pick up on things that early that the rest of the earth starts to pull from, that gets put into the airwaves. We pick up on that first. What we discover and what we go after as a body is in some ways, dare I say, I think it has a special place of significance. I was going to say more significant. I don't think God would have been pleased with me calling us more significant than the rest of the body. I think we have a very unique opportunity to be a church here in one of the most influential places on earth to pick up on how do we do kingdom, how do we do community, and how do we do this so that the rest of the world can have something that represents the heaven on earth thing that maybe has never been seen before. Okay, so that's the invitation. How do we shape this community of frontier to respond to that? And how do we each play our part? What's your personal part to play in that? Um, turn with me to Mark 26, 36 to 45. It's going to be a very short teaching. In fact, it's not a teaching at all. But if the pastor doesn't open the Bible, you should start asking questions. All right, so Mark 20, what did I say, 26, 36 to 45. I mean, Matthew. <laughs> Testing you. Uh, Matthew 26, thank you very much. I like Mark, though. He's a good guy. He, he got cut off early in his message. I actually wrote the last eight chapters of Mark. If anyone wants to check it out, just text me. It's really good. So, Matthew 26, 36 to 45. That was so condescending, Brian, the way you said there's no math. All right, focus, people. Matthew 26, 36. So then Jesus, this is actually a really somber passage, but we're not going to stay somber. It's going to be okay. This is in Gethsemane when Jesus is about, is begging his friends to pray with him. 
Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and they began to be sorrowful, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he basically let them see that, which is what you're supposed to note. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he kind of like sits them here close to him, but he even needs a more personal, intimate space with his father. But he wants them to still be there. It's really interesting. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I really want to go off on a tangent on how we illegally pray the will of God using this out of context. But that's not the point for today. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them doing what? Snoozing while he is sweating bullets. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? So it's okay to be frustrated with stupid, immature people. Jesus just showed us this. So sometimes you can snap at them a little bit. If they're being like really inconsiderate, I mean kind of serious, if you're walking with people that are in it with you, some of you, now now, if this is, like, natural and you're, like, getting excited right now, this isn't for you. <laughs> Those of you that are, like, that, this is for you. That, that, that kind of, like, hesitation, that's, this is for you. Because Jesus, he held his friends accountable. And some of us are not willing, when we ask someone to do something and they don't do it, you kind of just let it go. And you need to go, like, I needed you. Jesus shows you that in relationship. Calling your friends out is biblical. Getting frustrated at them is Jesus-like. In the right context, people. Okay. So he, he goes a second time. So he, first he says, couldn't you men will keep watch for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping Losers, because their eyes were heavy. Seriously, I, I have always struggled with how can they possibly be sleeping right now? So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, which also expresses something of his, of his communion with the Father, meaning that he understood that there was something oppressing and going back a second, going back a third time. We can go back a second and a third time. He returned to the disciples and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour's come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer, and enters Judas into the scene. Very, very kind of sobering exchange he has with his followers. Uh, first and foremost, though, um, we're gonna, I'm going to just highlight a few things. It's not really a teaching on this passage. What I, what I want to highlight today is simply this concept that Jesus had intentional community with a bunch of guys that were incredibly immature. They had moments of huge potential. They had a lot of moments of real deep disappointment and failure. It, but the aspect of community was so pivotal to what he was developing that he was willing to do this with a bunch of guys that in his most important moment, they couldn't even stay awake. I do not have the vision and patience for that. You people are way better than this. I don't know if I had Peter, James, and John if, if, they, if they were my first, like, disciples, I don't know if I could do ministry, right? 
That's super encouraging for the rest of the planet, though, isn't it? Um, and, and the reality is, I want to highlight, th- or I think it's three or four things, of the type of community that we want to develop. Um, and I want you to think about what kind of community Jesus' community looked like. So he calls these guys. And then in a few chapters later, they, they are going to testify in front of the most powerful courts and laws of the land with boldness. Thousands are going to come to know Jesus. Signs and wonders, miracles, revival is going to break out. And they're going to lead a community into the most holy, holy place that the world had ever seen. And this is their maturity level. But what was so vital was that Jesus was building this community. And so I want to, um, actually I'm going to read this, um, this little part of this, this book by Jan Johnson on community and submission, which is a scary word. I won't say it again. Americans don't like to submit. She says this. When you consider that Jesus had three short years to set the plan of redemption in place, it's amazing that he spent so much time hanging out with an entourage of simple men and women. By this choice, Jesus set in place the centrality of community. Through it, the disciples learned the discipline of trusting and submitting to other people, imitating the persons of the Trinity who do not haggle for authority. You notice that the Trinity, Holy, Holy Spirit, Son, Father, they do not haggle for the authority. Dallas Willard says, God is in himself a sweet society of love with a first, second, and third person to complete the social matrix. This is just beautiful poeticness. So just, just receive this. I'm going to start again. Dallas Willard says, God is in himself a sweet society of love with a first, second, and third person to complete a social matrix where not only is there love and being loved, but also shared love for one another. Because of who God is, there is no such thing as private or individual Christianity. Do you believe that? The diversity among the disciples tells us that the community is never about just having like thinkers patting each other on the back. The Protestant Reformation kind of encouraged that. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to start a new denomination. And we're going to do this for the next 500 years. I am also not saying that the Reformation was bad. I'm super thankful for Martin Luther. He was also a super flawed, racist man who hated Jews. We need to chew the meat and spit the bones. Still today, we've done it pretty well with him. We should do it today as well. But the point is, is that we are not about just like thinkers patting each other on the back. One of the best ways to learn to truly love others and thus let God change our character is to work side by side with someone you can't stand. Those were my words. They said, who needs to grow up? Me, when someone needs to grow up, I usually can't stand them. Now, I can stand all of you, but I know that some of you can't stand each other as much as you love, and you're sitting on opposite sides of the room. You accidentally do it. (laughs) Only kind of kidding. But as we continually surrender such persons to God, we allow God to speak to us through them, and we learn to treat them as we would treat Christ himself. Definitely, as we train ourselves behind the scenes by practicing community and mutual submission on a regular basis, this is what happens. This is what we have to do. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, 
going back to uh, some points. Number one, there's going to be four of them. I want us to be a prophetic community. Number two, I want us to be a mature community. Number three, a missional community. And number four, intentional community. A couple thoughts on being a prophetic community. What does it even mean to be a prophetic community? Uh, prophecy is not a scary word. We've made it scary in the church. If it, if it has any connotations to you, the, the dynamic of, of the prophetic is simply that we can hear God. We always hold it in submission to the word of God. But every single person that calls Jesus Lord is a prophetic person. Because what we all have in common is that he called you and you responded to his voice. Every single one of us has that in common, is that we're a prophetic people that has heard the call of God. He's the one that does the calling, and we have to respond. You respond by hearing the voice. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without being one that hears, that's a prophetic person, that hears the call. And what does that look like? I think it looks like you cannot separate a prophetic people from being a people that are saturated in communion with the Father through prayer, that sit with the Father in his presence, and that walk with the Father in power. That's what a prophetic people look like. You people get that, and the people that start to gather and that we build around have to get that. We cannot compromise on being a prophetic people. And I don't think the church has always got that. Um, a couple practicals. How do we do that on a, on a weekly basis? Well, even just the way we do worship, we try to leave space for God to speak where we don't say it has to start here and end here, but we leave space. We do that in our gatherings even, in our homes, in our small groups. I've seen many of you do it at the dinner table. <laughs> I love it when some of you even pray grace and you leave space. Maybe the Lord's going to speak something uniquely about my food. <laughs> but being a prophetic people means that you leave space. So maybe some of us need to put margin in our lives so that we can be the people we're called to be. Maybe you need to put margin for your community in a more intentional way. But ultimately, we want more of this prophetic culture in our lives. And we want to build upon it. Secondly, mature community. I mentioned already, Peter, James, and John had absolutely no maturity. And then we see what happens in their lives. They are completely transformed into those that would lead countless thousands that we would write about for thousands more years. And, and the spiritual formation piece that Jesus imparted was, was absolutely critical. And I think one of the things that we need to be about is what does it look like for someone, our community at Frontier, what does it look like for our maturation process to take effect? Maybe you call that discipleship. Um, maybe you call that not being annoying. And now I'm going to be a mature person. I mean, it can be small little <laughs> increments. Discipleship, I realized that we all get discipleship in one shape or form, one way, shape, or form. Like even how to like have a pet, if you have had a pet, if you had a kid. <laughs> I'm discipling my kids, I'm discipling my cat, not really my cat because I don't like him. But anything you like, <laughs> I'm going to be real and honest from this pulpit, babe. So we all know how to disciple things, but we need to learn about the community, how we develop postures for us to mature. Spiritual formation is the act of a body and a community becoming more like Jesus. Shh. <laughs> We're talking about cats. I will not have that in this place. <laughs> Don't make him pee on my pillow. 
please. So, um, is this where I wanted you to come up and share? Are you ready? Yeah, this is a good time. You broke, you broke my train of thought already, babe. So come on, you were gonna tr- you're going to share something on maturing. Come on, come on, it's okay. Come on. As she comes up. <laughs> I did. I, well, it doesn't relate to this. You want to do it at the end? You can do it at the end if you want. Okay, do it now. That's us in the As my cat, wishing my cat would pee on his pillow, is what transitioned us. So, um, but you need to love Wiggles. Wigglesworth is our cat's name. He has not healed himself like Smith Wigglesworth, the healing evangelist did. But anyways, that's where we got the name. So um, Christian essentially asked me to just share on something from the heart with what God has been speaking to me about, talking to me about. And I was like, well, what are you sensing? And we're like, well, let's just see the Holy Spirit intermingles it, which he always does. Um, He started this sermon with our vision statement for Frontier, which is we are people who've been utterly transformed by the love of Jesus. And as I was kind of meditating on that, God paused me on the transformation piece. Because so often in life, um, we almost think like, oh, once we've arrived, once we've met a certain goal, then I'm acceptable. Or then I can glorify God. Or then my breakthrough will come. Like I wrote down a bunch of, when I'm walking in my breakthrough, when I'm successful at work, when my business has made it, when all of my children are loving Jesus, when I'm debt free. Um, But something happened yesterday where I know this and I know the process, the transformation, the process is so often what God is highlighting where we're looking at the end goal. We're looking at what's the end game? How do I get there? And God's like, why are you focused on that? Because I'm focused on now. I'm focused on who are you becoming today? Not who you'll be when I come back or when you meet me first, but who are you becoming today? And yesterday was our first, our boys' first soccer game ever. We managed to push it off until eight, or almost eight, seven and nine years of age. And you can imagine, Christian felt a little guilty by that. Yeah. I felt like superhero and that all moms who are soccer moms are superhero because you go to the game, you sit on the side and you do nothing. You just watch these kids run around. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the best person in the world. I'm just sitting watching my kids. And most moms in this world do that all the time. This was my first experience. But we were at the game. And the kids, they do not know how to play soccer well yet. But you could see the determination on, I'm going to highlight Judah, little Judah's face. And he's running after this ball, you know, that's flying past him as hard as he can. He's bright red because it was hot yesterday. And I find myself, okay, so if I'm on the sideline, my children's goal, they're on the same team, is over here. The other opponent's team goal is over here. And Judah finally gets the ball, you know, towards the end of the game. And he starts sprinting his heart out after this ball that way. And the goal is over here. All of a sudden, the goals, like, I can, they're not in here. I didn't even see the goals. I'm that crazy mom on the sideline. Go, Judah! Go, Judah, you're doing amazing. Good hustle. Keep up. Go get the ball. Go, 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 Judah. I'm like, oh, that's the wrong goal. Oh, oh, no, don't go, Judah. But I didn't even have that thought. And the Lord's like, do you get it? 
It's not the goal, the end goal that matters. It's what's happening, the transformation in the process. He was learning to hustle. He was learning to give his absolute best, all the endurance he had in his little body to go after that ball. And at the end of the game, well, the two minutes before the end of the game, Finn, my other son who was playing, was like, Mom, um, I think we might not win this game. When it was zero, they had scored zero, and the other team had scored five. But I was like, oh, Finn, your faith. Maybe, maybe I'll get a goal. <laughs> but it was like the faith in the middle of the process, the determination, the hustle, who they were becoming, that's what, what was significant. Not if they scored the goal at the end of the game or not. And after I'm like, how'd it go? And they're like, it's hot, but we had fun. And I was like, great, at the end of the day, you had fun, you lost, but... I think what the, <laughs> going back to my notes or I'm going to go off on a tangent. Christian was like this, oh, because he played, we both played soccer. And I get like into like encouraging the kids. But Christian's on the sideline like, Judah, okay, oh, I'm stressing. No, no, Judah, go that way, that way, that way. Finn, this way, Finn, go farther. And I'm like, oh, babe, you should be a coach in all your spare time. <laughs> so I had to, I'm like, are you stressed out? It's going to be okay. They're just seven and nine. It's their first game ever. But he is a good coach. Maybe someday. He's saying, no, never. I want to get hats off to Clark, who has coached. And it's a whole other level. But for kids, they just run in any direction, any ball. They shoot it at any goal. <laughs> um, but the whole thing that God was really highlighting, which is what I feel like Fallon stunningly picked up on, is that at Frontier, we're a people that are committed to be in the process. Because God's highlighting who are you becoming today? And that takes letting all your walls come down. That takes being seen and fully known. And that's terrifying. Like, I just, I bless you that you will have no vulnerability hangover in Jesus' name. Because it's a real thing. It's like when you share a lot, you let yourself truly be seen. The next morning, you're like, oh, foot in my mouth. I spoke too much. It was way too far. But God's like, actually, I love that moment the best. Because it's this process of who are we becoming in Jesus. Because at the end of time, he's not just going to say, oh, good, you got into heaven. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you every day? And every day is a process. And so, did you want me to pray now? Anyways, so maturing in community, because he, he had said pray, or share your heart and then pray. But it's not really, it's pray in the middle of the message. Um, to commit to Frontier is committing to a family that will love you in the process. Because the process is most often the pain, most painful thing you're going to walk through. But it's where his glory is most revealed. When, like, things happen to us, it's how we respond to those things is the beginning of his glory. Not just that Jesus will be glorified one day. So the whole heart of this was to invite you to be a family that we're willing to walk with people and all of us in here through whatever it is. And that's where the greatest work of God is in my heart and in your heart is in that ability to be transformed in the everyday. So we'll pray into that more. Amen. Amen. Good. Just to clarify, I felt guilty about um, not teaching my kids, like, anything about the rules of soccer. So most of the time when I was watching them yesterday, it was just like, I can't believe they don't even know how to play soccer. But it was adorable. Like maybe you felt guilty for it's, not playing football. It's soccer. true. That's it's true. It's true. They're gonna get better. Amen. Moving on. Thank you, babe. So, 
one of the things that comes up in my mind when, when I think of spiritual formation and discipleship and things of that nature is um, I, I actually spent a lot of time this week um, studying the gifts, like not just the gifts of the Spirit, but those included. Just what are the gifts of the body and those kinds of things? And the more I studied, the more frustrated I got with all the churches that do I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm actually waiting for someone to come out with a tool that I really love. But anyone done like a spiritual gift survey assessment and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, no, no, like two people? Two? Okay, a handful more. Has anyone done one that's like super like amazing? They'd still like highly recommend it because I would need you to send it to me. Anyone? No. One? Really? Send me one. Okay, thank you. Most of the ones I found um, were like so disappointing. And then ultimately what I feel like when preachers would get up, they would basically use this as a way to go like, here's how you don't feel bad about not getting to preach and teach and do all the fun like full-time ministry stuff. It's because you're like, you're a thumb or a pinky and, and you're, supposed to, you're, you're supposed to hold signs up. And you know, they don't really say that, but it's like it feels like a whole, you realize that the gifts, every time, every time that the, the scripture talks about any kinds of gifts, whether the gifts of the spirit, Ephesians 4 gifts, um, whether it's in Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, wherever, it's talking so that the whole body can be equipped, filled up, and empowered every single time. Every single gift, if it's in the Bible, you like it and would like the idea of using it, you are commissioned to use that gift. And if you need to grow in it, that's what maturity and formation is about. So we want to be a place where every single gift, now some people are going to be more naturally inclined and gifted at some things more than others to a degree, but every single person, if you have a desire to teach, the Lord wants to give you a place to teach, and you should be teaching, whether that's your, whatever it is. If, if, it, if the desire is to be an encourager, you're going to have opportunities to do that. If it's, if it's prophetic, it can be prophetic all over the place. It is going to be your duty to live out being a person that is gifted. You are gifted. Now, at the same time, how many of you have taken one of the Enneagram classes that we've done in the last uh, year or so? Amen. Suzanne gave me this incredible book that I've barely gotten a couple chapters into because I've been highlighting so much. It's called Enneagram and the Way of Jesus. Doesn't that sound saucy? And, and so the idea is intersecting personality theory with spiritual practices and biblical narratives. Mm, that's just like candy for me. If it's not candy for you, it will be, because you'll probably be hearing this again. That we're exploring, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking way too early on this, but we're, we're trying to explore things like, when we, when we get into things like Enneagram and, and personality theory and things like that, which we've done a little bit, and Suzanne's been amazing help with that, we, we're really asking, how are we wired? And then how, in the way that we're wired, are we commissioned to make this, what does this look like in the kingdom? And I think there have been some amazing Christians that have tried to put these things together, but this is one of the better things. And just on a philosophical level, I want to read, read a couple thoughts, literally really quick for you. Um, this person that wrote this, his name is uh, A.J. Sherrill. He says this, that among innumerable challenges of our society right now, uh, that prohibit discipleship in the 21st century in the urban West. Three are the most salient. And he says this, truth, time, and transience. And what does he mean by that? Truth. In the postmodern West where relativism, subjectivism, and existentialism are here and reign supreme, calling a congregation beyond church attendance and into radical demanding spiritual formation is the difficult but absolute imperative task. We have to be people that aren't just walking around in a culture that just takes subjective truth and just throws it by the wayside, but people that are absolutely convicted and grounded at what truth looks like. 
<laughs> Secondly, time. For all of the technological advances, most do not report any increase of margin in their life. Relentlessly checking in with social media, email, and entertainment has left scarce room for concerted effort in any area of life. This is going by studies throughout the society. We can be different. We will be different. There is time. Many of you need to break the lie that there's no time. And transience, globalism continues to connect the world at a rate where few remain in the same geographic location for long periods of time, particularly between the ages of 25 and 50, which is a whole lot of you people. That, 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 that is a big deal because it's clear that the greatest challenge to discipleship, he says, with regard to transience, meaning that people are always moving, leaving, hard to kind of put down roots, the greatest challenge to discipleship and to formation is in this emerging generation is this. And even when one chooses to remain in the same place, it is rare that one's support group will remain with them. Over the span of several decades, transience is often a tremendous obstacle to spiritual formation. So there are going to be some of you that, that come and go and leave and move. That's, that's natural and normal. But what we want to invite you into is in the most transient city per, potentially on earth, will you put down roots here? And allow the Lord to go deep in your life and in your community. Although there are moments of profound instantaneous breakthrough, most spiritual formation is incremental, resulting from a long commitment to practices. That's a reality that we have to confront. Your formation, while we want to continually believe for the instantaneous breakthrough of signs, wonders, and miracles on a daily basis, and every week you're invited to come up here and pray for the impossibilities to bow to the name of Jesus, we also have to be a community that is willing to walk the long, long, long life intimate journey. And long doesn't have to be boring, it doesn't have to be stale, it doesn't have to be dry, but it does have to be intimate, it has to be raw, it has to be real. And what we want to invite you into is that kind of journey in a community where when we're in the midst of the most transient place on earth, people start to realize that frontier group. Man, that's a safe place where I can be known. And I can really go into the deep stuff. And so we're going to start doing things. And when we do things like Enneagram, it's not just for a good feel-good thing. It's for a pursuit to discover elements of who we are and how we can strengthen each other, those around us, and make the city realize that we're here for them and not for ourselves. Somebody say amen. Okay. Amen. Okay, to pull this together really quickly, the last two. Missionally, Jesus knew always what his time and his moment was. He knew when he was supposed to serve the weak, when he was supposed to heal, when he was supposed to go to the cross, when he was supposed to pray. And we have to know our moments. We have to know our moments of where we're at. Um, one of the things, missionally, it's been such a privilege to, to partner with stuff and missionaries all over the globe, to go to France, to support in Nepal and the Philippines, and we're going to do more, and it's going to be amazing. But Alpha, that is the place that I believe that we are going to see the most incredible things happen that get you excited to wake up in the morning. Why? Because in Alpha, if you don't know what Alpha is, it's when we get people together to drink wine, have dinner, and talk about the most controversial questions of life. Where we watch some films that have been really well made to present things about God and thoughts of spirituality. And then we, the Christians, shut up and we invite conversation for people to share the most difficult things that they possibly could imagine and have a safe place to do that in the most non-religious environment that we can set up for them. That's what Alpha looks like. 
And we want to invite every single one of you to at least come to check it out to see what it's like. We want to invite all of you to pray about who to invite. But we want every single person to realize that we are on mission. If you don't feel like you're someone that can like just start sharing the gospel of Mark 26 in your, in your cubbyhole next to your person at work, that's okay. That's okay. That's, that's what their community is for because you're not inviting them in, into a four-point invitation. You're inviting them into a community of people that represent heaven on earth. And you want to give them a space that gives them a taste of the in-between. So, we're going to talk more about that, but I need to keep moving. That's what a missional community is all about. We never want to keep those that are far from God, far from our minds. And it's not just for those that are atheists or agnostic or hate God. It's for those who have just been hurt by the church or are jaded and just need to experience the love of Jesus in a community again where they can be real with their struggles or their doubts. That might be some of you, and that's the place where you can struggle and wrestle with these things in your community. And it might be some of your friends or loved ones or whatever. You're invited. We're a missional community. We're a maturing community. We're a prophetic community. And finally, we're an intentional community, which is what this whole thing is about. The example of Jesus and how he built was so intentional that everything had to be built through the people that he was investing most into. Meaning, these three, Peter, James, and John, and the 12, that was his priority. He had no problem with shaving off the excess fat and talking about drinking blood and eating flesh and whatever he needed to do to weird them out. I'm quoting John 6 if you're like, why is he saying those things? The reality is Jesus could not care about who was following if his core followers did not get it. I'm often really impressed with, with movements or ministries or communities that weren't afraid to like really harp on what they're about when it would cost them people leaving. Um, if you, you know Bethel and, and Reading, they're, I mean, obviously a huge movement and do a lot of things. They went from 2,000 people to 1,000 people in the first few months that Bill Johnson entered and gave his vision of what we have to be about. They cut in half. I hope we'll never have to do that because we already, like, <laughs> planted the church with our visions. So hopefully that doesn't have to happen in Jesus' mighty name. But the reality is, is if we stop prioritizing what God has given us to not compromise on, true growth will not have good fruit. And we believe that Frontier is going to have beautiful fruit. However I said that, please figure it out. Will, amen, okay. So the example of Jesus, two guys, Peter and Judas, two guys that he discipled. What happened where Judas takes his struggle and his pain, and as he sat in it, he couldn't take it, and he took his life. Peter, after not praying, tries to cut off a, in the garden. He cuts off a guy's ear. He tries to be real valiant. Then all of a sudden fear comes at him because the sword and trying to cut off someone's ear, which is really cutting off, he tried to cut off his head, but he's, he's a fisherman, not a soldier. So he missed and cut the ear. That's what happened. And, and so he, he had a moment of, of what looked like bravery, but it was really fear. And we saw what really happened because then he couldn't even say that he was a follower. The rooster crows three times and you realize this man is broken. But in his brokenness and pain, he sat in the pain and he didn't, he didn't leave the place of, I still know Jesus did something that will change me forever. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go back and fish. But because he sat in his pain, he continued to hear the call, the voice, over his identity. 
And that was the difference between the man that took his life and the man that led thousands other. What's going to be your story? And what's the community that you're going to go deep in that's going to allow you to put down roots in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your rawness, in the middle of your junk? And they say, we see you, we believe in you, and we don't care what you look like. You can show us everything. You can show us our cards. We're not going to run anywhere. In fact, when you finally show me that, I can finally see what your potential is, and I'm going to call it out. That's the kind of people that Frontier is about. That's the kind of people we want to be. Um, and to close, if I could have the worship team come up and start doing your beautiful things on musical notes. I, I just want to read you a, um, something that, that our, our team I shared with our team a couple years ago, actually almost exactly two years ago. Um, and I just kind of called it um, processing what was my dream. I felt the Lord to just ask, like, what's, what's the dream of what I see for myself in this body? And my wife asked. That's just usually where it starts. My wife said it, and then I'm like, oh, God must be talking about it because she said it. And then I respond finally. <laughs> and this was, this was my dream. In fact, I'd love you guys to stand and just receive it. If you can't stand, if, it's, if you're tired, don't worry. Sometimes we just need a, a movement. It does something to us, right? My dream. My dream is to see a church that is authentic and uncompromising in pursuing revival on the earth. A church where the lost are finding Jesus in rapid numbers. And signs, wonders, and miracles are daily norms. I dream of a church that isn't just building something where it is, but is building into other churches, other cities, and other nations, where local missions and unreached missions merge with where neither are exalted over another. I dream of a church that expects the immediate intervention of heaven, but has the patience to endure for a breakthrough. church that expects the immediate intervention of heaven but has the patience to endure for a breakthrough and the character to sustain unanswered questions. Where children are sought after for their giftedness, insights, power, and purity. Where cycles of poverty and addiction are broken so efficiently that we are asked to serve the city. Personally, I dream to be spending the bulk of my energies inspiring, encouraging, and overseeing the activity of the people, of the saints, of the called out ones, in them and through them. And I dream of the day where if I wanted, I could just schedule all day meetings every day full of passionate, contagious believers sharing story after story of the activity of heaven, actively working, redeeming, transforming, where those I lead are the, are the focus and never myself. I dream where I, where I can discover how to lead in such a way where I'm not merely looking to reproduce myself, but to discover the strategies and to find God's team of strategic leaders for every context, every church, every ministry, and every mission, where every person and every relationship is saturated in an environment of hope, and that even the most broken are on the path to healing, that divorce, separation, and tension begin to not exist in our community that we disciple the relationships of those with us and those around us, that we run endless seminars, conferences, interventions, trainings, groups, and resources that provide breakthrough in our city, that when our church starts in a new area, people are excited that relationships, marriages, and families are gonna be restored and thriving. In this, we will find the key for families to be unstoppable sources of strength, 
and not pain. That instead of asking what your father and mother issues are, that our children will be asked what their father and mother's strengths are. That ministries would be birthed out of the dreams of the saints and not the plans of a leader. That I can give vision that allows saints to dream and see their dreams fulfilled. That our worship would be first and foremost real. And that it would represent a people that are equal parts desperate and satisfied, pulling down heaven with an insatiable hunger for more and an expectation that the heart of the Father is to say yes to his children. That our thanksgiving and praise is sacrificial, but that our worship is a response to Jesus' lordship. A response to Jesus' lordship. This is my dream, and I invite you to dream. Put your heart before you and just give it to the Lord afresh today and just say, I trust you with my dreams, Father. And if you're willing, I trust you with this community. And we want to invite you to thrive here, to be rooted here, to go deep here. Despite our flaws, despite our issues, our flaws and issues are only the places where we need the people of our community to shine even brighter. We need you. All your quirks, uniquenesses, and issues, we need you. So we're going to ask them to play. I know we've gone a little long, but and if you need to go and get kids and get where you need to go, please feel free. But please respond. Let your heart respond. What does it look like this year for you to say yes to community? You're invited to the table.